1 Kings 17. Okay, 1 Kings chapter 17. And I'm not going to read the whole passage, but um, let's begin by looking from verse 1. 1 Kings 17 verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there, gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Please bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said. But make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her household did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Amen. Shall we have a further word of prayer, dear brothers and sisters? Let's ask the Lord to be with us. Father, we thank you so much that we've been able to worship you freely this morning. We thank you for giving us good health to be here. We thank you for the sunshine outside. We thank you that our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son and that you have given us one to each other to be together at this time. We want to bless you for our fellowship, Lord. We thank you that you've called us into the fellowship of your Son. And we pray that this morning we may know that participating and sharing in the Lord Jesus, Lord, in our worship we have sought to do so 
but we pray that we may know the same experience around your word. And we ask that, Lord, you would grant there be anointing at this time for the speaking of your word and the hearing of your word. The word would be spoken in faith. I believe, therefore I spoke. And the word would be mixed with faith in each one of our hearts who hear. Lord, we pray that we would have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We pray that you would be the one governing our hearts at this time. Not fear, not anxiety, but the Spirit of God might be leading and guiding us on. We acknowledge our need of you in these days, Lord. We are weak, but thou art mighty. Lord, would you lead us on with you? We ask that the word would build your people up and strengthen and bless and feed them. Lord, deliver them and all of us from anything of the enemy distracting us from what you want to say to us this day. We need your word, Lord. We pray that you would lead us in this time. Oh, how we need you. We ask that you would be gracious to us. Cleanse us from any sin, Lord. Any uncleanness in our hearts. We've sung already, purify my heart. Let me be as gold and precious silver. Lord, it is the prayer of our hearts that you purify us. Lord, while we have time to be cleaned up and get our act together, as it were, spiritually speaking, we pray that we may avail ourselves of such grace of opportunity. And we pray that, Lord, even now, you will be working in our hearts what is pleasing to yourself. Prepare your people for these final days of, of, of time, we pray, Lord. We look to you, and Lord, please cleanse us, help us to walk with you, pardon us for every sin. We thank you that we have a trespass offering in the person of the Lord Jesus. And we would claim that trespass offering as our covering and our deliverance from iniquity this day. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What a Redeemer. We praise you and thank you. Lead us now, Lord. By your Spirit we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, as we come to look at um, 1 Kings chapter 17, I want to begin, before we consider uh, something of the ministry of Elijah and the lessons we can learn from him, I want us to begin by looking at the backdrop of what was happening with Israel at the time that the Lord raised up Elijah, brought him onto the scene, and gave him the word of prophecy for the, for the king and ultimately for the people. In Israel, before Elijah comes onto the scene, Israel is in a dreadful state. Spiritually speaking, she is very backslidden, far from the Lord. Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. This is what the Word of God shows us. You know, and there's an interesting phrase in chapter 16 of 1 Kings where it says, It came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him, that is Ahab, to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. Now, that's an interesting statement. It became as though it was a light thing. To walk in the sins of Jeroboam. However, if you'd have been back in the day of Jeroboam, or you would have considered these things to be more sinful, but when it came to the day of Ahab, those sins were considered light when once they would have been considered heavy. We have the same thing that has happened in our nation. Sins that were once considered heavy are now considered a light thing. They're nothing to us. Immorality is nothing to us anymore. Adultery, all these kind of moral sins and the chaos that we see, these things, adultery, um, 
fornication, uncleanness. These things once were seemed quite heavy sins in our society within England. But now these sins are considered light. Why are they considered light? Because we have now got into heavier sins. Things that our forefathers before us would have been exasperated at. And I have to tell you that I, I find it quite shocking, but I, you see, I don't have a television. I don't see the adverts on the television regularly, okay? Um, nor am I condemning people if they got a television, okay? It's just a personal choice. I just decided I didn't want to have a television in our... We didn't, well, Helena and I didn't want to have a television in our house, okay? It's just a personal thing. But when you're away for the television for some while, and then you go to somebody's house or you see a screen and you see the adverts after you have not seen the adverts for a long time, you are absolutely shocked with what you see. I was so angry the other day. There was an advert that came up on our screen, on our computer, when the children were watching something, and this advert came up, and it was these two women acting inappropriately with each other, and I slammed the laptop shut. and just made the kids jump. I said, we're not watching this. Right, this program now is out because there's a possibility of this advert coming on, okay? <laughs> These kind of things sh don't shock us. The, point, the way the enemy works is he desensitizes us over a period of time, whereby sins that we once considered big, we now consider small, because it's the drop, drop, drop effect, you know? Just a little bit at a time, little bit at a time. Just gradually get it. This is what we see. But if you had asked our forefathers to view the type of adverts that come on our screen today, they would have been on the phone to the BBC quicker than you could say, who cares? <laughs> we are desensitized to sin in this society. We are exactly like those who dwelt in Israel in the day of King Ahab. Wow. It came to pass as if it was a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. Friends, we are living in challenging days that are way beyond a coronavirus. There's a bigger virus, dear friends, than the coronavirus. It's called sin. That's the biggest disease that we need to be caring about. Not this disease. This thing is, okay, it's bad. Who knows? People can end up in the grave. But your eternal destiny is dependent on what's on sin now. This is much more important. What are we doing? We're dealing with sin in our lives. And you know, friends, we can just let sin in a little bit through the door by whatever avenue it chooses to try to come in. And if we're not careful, it will just increase. Don't allow yourself to compromise over what in your heart you know is sinful simply because you want to keep the peace in the home. Do you know what I mean? This happens. This happens everywhere. Just for the sake of a peace, we'll let a little bit of sin in. But the nature of sin is it keeps on wanting to come in. Once the door is open a little... It'll open it a little bit more. 
I'm not talking about becoming legalistic about things that aren't sinful. I'm talking about sinfulness. You know what I mean? Uncleanness, perversity. You say, why are you talking about these things in these days? We've got this coronavirus situation on, and you're talking about sin. Friends, take the coronavirus in the context of Scripture, and you'll know why I'm talking about sin. (laughs) We need to get right with God. We're living in days. The most important thing for us is to be cleaned up, right? Spiritually speaking. Why? Because I believe, dear friends, what we've come to with this whole virus thing is the next phase in the history of the world, whereby the Lord is beginning to bring things to conclusion and preparing the way for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are nearer to the Lord's return than we may think we are. And therefore, we need to be ready. You say, what about the Antichrist? Absolutely, the Antichrist has to come on the scene. We know these things. But we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. And our concern primarily is being ready for him. The Lord wants a bride Pure, spotless, ready, cleaned up. And I want to be a part of that, don't you? Part of that bride that has made herself ready. Not by means of her own goodness, but through laying hold of the goodness of the Lord. So anyway, we see the worst thing that we need to deal with is sin. And we see in this time of Um, Ahab, incredible backsliding in Israel. Not only was his sins much more grievous than that of Jeroboam, the scripture tells us that he took as wife the daughter of Ethbaal, whose name, by the way, means, means with Baal, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. He reared up an altar to Baal, which he had built in Samaria. I mean, Basically, Ahab completely took the people into utter idolatry and married the people almost to Baal. It was a terrible situation. And then the word says, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel. Right now, that's the backdrop to Elijah coming on the scene. Isn't the Lord good? that is raising up a man behind closed doors to bring the word of the Lord to the king of Israel. So let's read verse 1, shall we, of chapter 17. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to... To my word. Wow, what a verse of scripture that is, isn't it? It's as though in the backdrop of all this darkness, this man Elijah comes on the scene seemingly out of nowhere. There's no backdrop to Elijah. Try and find him pre-1 Kings 17. You won't find his name mentioned. He seems to come out of nowhere, and here he is, standing before the king of Israel, declaring the word of the Lord. Nobody else seemed to have the word of the Lord. Declaring the word of the Lord to King Ahab, and not only prophesying that there be no rain, but there be no rain at my word. Wow, what a word of prophecy there. What faith! 
Extraordinary faith. Here's a man who's able to bring a stinging word of judgment that the heavens will be closed up, that there be no dew or rain these years, but according at my word. Now, he doesn't say there be no dew or rain for a few days or for a few months, but a matter of years. This is a judgment that's going to last a fair bit of time. And you can do without certain things for a short period of time, but try to be without water for a long period of time, and it's going to get pretty tough, isn't it? Where are the crops going to come from? How are you going to find food, let alone drink and, and water? So important to life. And so Elijah speaks the word of judgment to King Ahab. The question I want to ask is this. Where did this man get his authority? You say he got it from the Lord. I know that. But there's no basic, there's no history within the narrative of how the Lord trained Elijah up. The Lord always trains people, doesn't he? You think of Moses. The Lord trained him. How? By making him flee into the wilderness from the Israelites to dwell in the wilderness for 40 years while the Lord dealt with him and prepared him ultimately to meet with him at the burning bush. There was a point of preparation where the Lord was breaking Moses. We have the whole thing there. What about Joseph? Here's another example of how the Lord shows of all that happened to him before he came into that position of being second to Pharaoh. There's various scriptures that show us the preparations that are in place that the Lord uses to bring the, these men of God to their, to their authority, but not with Elijah. Except there's one statement that gives us more than a clue of what Elijah was doing concerning the text that we've just read. Did you pick it up? Did you pick it up? Every word of God is important. When you're reading the scriptures, Make sure you pay attention to every word that you read. Because if you and I are loose with our minds being engaged as we read the Word of God, we have the potential to miss things that are quite important. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, pay attention to the small words in Scripture. It's a good point. What does, he, what does, what does Eli, Elijah say to King Ahab in verse 1? As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. Now you know what Elijah was doing before he came on the national scene to bring the word of prophecy to the king of Israel. He was standing before the Lord. Brothers and sisters... You and I, me and you, both of us, will never be able to stand before men on behalf of God until we have firstly learnt to stand before God on behalf of men. It won't happen. You and I may choose to try and stand before men on behalf of God, but we won't have the word of the Lord. There might have been loads in Israel that had views on what was, wrong with go, what was going wrong with Israel. There's me, who knows what was going on amongst the ranks of God's people in Israel, what their views were 
about this person or King Ahab and, and what they thought of Jezebel and all the rest of it. They probably have lots of views. And if they had the opportunity, they would have got on their computer and they would have uploaded their own views on YouTube. And then they would have put their little views over each other's little views on the screen. And you'd have lots of people's different views based on somebody else's view on what they think of King Ahab. This is exactly what we have today, don't we? A million and one views on what's wrong with the church in, on YouTube, don't we? You know. Um, and... It's so easy, isn't it, just to point the finger and say, well, this is wrong with the church, that's wrong with the church, the other thing is wrong with the church, and we're probably right. But it doesn't seem to work anything, does it? Have you noticed that? Our own views about what needs to be put right, we don't seem to have much weight in the changing of things, do we? I wonder... What the difference is between those who speak having prayed and stood before God on behalf of men and those that haven't really sought the face of God and have spoken. I wonder what the difference in the numbers would be. Probably massive, right? Do you know, brothers and sisters, what we need today is not the opinions of men on the situation, even if they're right. What we need today is the word of the Lord on the situation. If only we had consulted God in so many areas of church life, we wouldn't be in such a mess that we're in. But there's something lovely, let's make it personal, there's something lovely about somebody coming up to us and asking us for our views on their problems. There's something nice about that. People think, well, we're valued, or so-and-so must think I'm quite spiritual because they're asking me what my views are on their problems. And so we say, well, I think your problem is this, and then we say this, and then we give that view, and they say, thank you so much, you're such a lovely person. And we say, oh, I'm not, I'm not really that wonderful, but inside we're saying, oh, this is marvellous, just keep massaging this. And, 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 and so we find ourselves in a sort of situation where there's a lot of flattery that goes on, and, and they go home really excited about the fact that we've told them what their problems are. And nothing changes. If somebody comes to you and asks you, what is your view on this? Um, I've got this problem, I've got this situation, what should I do? Do you say, I don't know. Let's seek the Lord together, shall we? And you both get down on your knees and begin to ask counsel from heaven. Imagine if we'd done that in the church. How many sheep would not have been burnt in the house of God, disillusioned, led astray. Now you say, well, am I to say nothing to somebody who comes for advice? There are times when we need to share with people what we think might be profitable for them. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying to the, say, we still need to look to the Lord for the answer. Okay? Well, that's a little aside. Maybe it's a big one. But nonetheless, 
Elijah was a man that was learning to stand before God. In other words, he was a man that was behind closed doors, who, were, who wasn't particularly known, I wouldn't have thought, on the national scene. He's behind closed doors. We certainly don't know about him before 1 Kings 17. And he's seeking the face of God. If you want to have an authority with God, Brothers and sisters, if you want to know something of the anointing of God in your life, you and I must have a prayer life. Otherwise, we have a lot of head knowledge, but we won't have the unction of the Spirit of God. We need to be those who are into the Word of God, but we need to be those that are learning to stand before God on behalf of others. This is what intercession is all about, really. And as you and I begin to pray, we'll find not only will we have our views changed, but we'll have our heart changed over the things we're praying for. Because as you learn to stand before God, you learn to hear his voice and you learn to share his heart. You learn to feel the grief in his heart over the things that you're praying for. And when the heart is affected through prayer by means of communion with God, you'll never be the same. Who's willing, how, how are we willing to share the Lord's heart? Willing to share his grief over things? What about this matter of this abortion that Stella brought up? How do we handle these things? Well, we can't simply carry the weight of them upon us all the time. But we need to learn to stand before God on behalf of the unborn. And ask the Lord to affect our hearts, not just our prayers. You know? So here's a man who is learning to stand before God before he stands before men. This is the best type of preparation for ministry. Elijah's name means my God is Jehovah. He was a man who knew his God. And friends, if you and I learn to stand before the Lord, we will learn to know God. Knowing God isn't an academic exercise. It's an experiential matter. It's a matter of prayer. It's a matter of being in communion with God. And as we learn to get before God and learn to know him, he will affect our hearts as we're praying. Elijah knew the Lord. He knew he was God. And the thing is, when you know the Lord, when you come into something of the revelation of who God is, something of his holiness, of his purity, of his majesty, you can... Stand before men. The fear of the Lord comes upon you, doesn't it? Haven't you found that when you've been in the presence of God, you've known the Lord's drawn near to you, and you've been before him, something of the awesomeness, just a glimpse of the awesomeness of the Lord comes upon you, and you tremble before him, like, like Isaiah did. Woe is me, for I am undone. That's what Isaiah said, and he wasn't, um, I don't get the impression he was somebody that was a million miles away from the Lord before he had that experience. But in the light of the Lord, which one of us wouldn't say, woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the Lord. 
but that reverence for God that comes through the revelation of seeing him in his presence delivers us from the fear of man. It's the fear of man that brings a snare. The fear of the Lord is clean. The fear of the Lord is pure. It adds no sorrow to it. You'll find that the fear of the Lord liberates you rather than restrains you. Well, it will restrain you from sin, but that's not a bad thing. But it will deliver you from this fear of man. Well, let's just look at what happens to Elijah. He brings this word of prophecy, and he says there's not going to be no rain or dew these three and or these years, but at by my word. I didn't say that very well, did I? But anyway, but by my word. So. This is very interesting because although he's bringing a word of prophecy against Ahab for his sin and the people of Israel, the judgment is brought on them is going to affect himself because he lives in the same land. So what does he do? If there's going to be no rain, how is the servant of God going to live? What did we read? Verse 2, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before the Jordan. Notice verse 2, And the word of the Lord came unto him. Elijah was a man who heard the voice of the Lord in a day of trouble and difficulty. When things get tough, we need to be those that have learnt to discern what the Spirit is saying. This is very, very important in the last days. You just read through the churches in the book of Revelation. What was the cry? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, if it was automatic that people who went to church automatically had an ear to hear what the Spirit was saying, that would make that statement rather obsolete, wouldn't it? Why would you say to, some, say to a church, he who has an ear, let him hear, if automatically everybody in the church heard? But they don't. In fact, the thing is, dear brothers and sisters, it's comparatively few that really have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. Are you somebody who can discern, for example, the difference between the voice of your own heart speaking and the Spirit of God speaking? Have you learnt to discern the difference? Are you exercised in these things? This is what's required, you see. It's not enough for me to know the right things. I need to know the Lord himself. This is so important in the last days. I fear that we've set ourselves up to think, well, as long as we believe the right things, we'll get through. It's not simply about believing the right things, though that, of course, is important. God forbid that we ever go light on the area of deception, which increases in the last days. But friends, just having a theoretical knowledge of right 
teaching will not be enough for us to be able to navigate ourselves through the last days. We need to be able to have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. Now, this is important. That's why we need to pray, so that we learn to discern what the Lord is saying. And here is Elijah, is in the midst of the judgments of God. Provision is going, and he's a man who learns to hear the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to him. Remember, he already has a history of being before God, of learning to dis- of hear his word. So the word of the Lord comes to him and says, Get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before the Jordan. Now this is significant. Firstly, notice that the Lord tells Elijah to hide himself. When previously the Lord was showing Elijah to stand before the king. There's a time to stand and there's a time to hide. It's not always right to make an appearance in a certain way. Because the Lord doesn't say to Elijah, right now you've stood once, just keep there. He had to not only learn to stand before man, he had to learn to hide. We need to learn at times to hide ourselves in the Lord. You are my hiding place. Do we know the Lord as our provision of security? Do we hide ourselves away in him? Otherwise, we can get ourselves unstuck by thinking one course of action is always right. No, 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 no. If you always get one course of action that is always right, that means you wouldn't have to have faith to wait on the Lord to hear his word. There's times when the Lord shows us different things. There's a time when the Lord showed David to act in a certain battle a certain way. And David inquired of the Lord a second time about when these enemies came up against him. And the Lord says, no, you're not going to do the warfare this way. I'm going to show you another way. We need to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God at any given time. Well, now was the time for Elijah to hide. And where does he hide? By the brook Cherith. Cherith means separation, but it also speaks of a cutting off. Separation and cutting off. And it is not without significance that the word goes on to say that they dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. Jordan speaks of a descending, a flowing down, is what the actual word Jordan means. But it also speaks, in a sense, of a cutting off. It speaks of death. Death to self. Where was the Lord Jesus baptized? In the river Jordan. Okay? So this brook, this brook and this, this place, Cherith, was before the Jordan. This place represented separation, in which it was for Elijah, because he was separated from everybody else. He was by himself. But it also spoke of a cutting off. And sometimes the Lord will allow us to have our natural resources stripped away from us, the things we rely on naturally to be removed in order that there's a shifting of our dependency upon these things and onto the Lord. And you find, brothers and sisters, that actually 
the Lord will do that in your life. There'll be times where he strips you of the things that you may not even be aware that you're leaning on, but the Lord knows just how to touch upon them. And he touches upon things and immediately we find ourselves, I wasn't expecting that. I've obviously been leaning on this or that too much. And we need to learn to depend on the Lord. And we need to come to an end of our own natural resources. The Lord will use circumstances in your life to bring you to an end of your own natural resources. Not because he has any evil in mind for you, but because he's getting you to learn to lean upon him, to trust in his resources, to trust in his provision, to trust in his keeping power. And this is a lesson that no doubt Elijah was learning. And we find within this particular passage that the Lord provided for him by means of the ravens that brought bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. Everything was dried up. There was no natural resources, but there was resources from God. And the brook was still running, even though that was soon going to dry up. But the Lord provides for him ravens. Why didn't the Lord send angels? I thought angels would be more amazing, wouldn't it? You know? But the Lord sends ravens, these birds, to provide for like The Lord can provide however he chooses, by the least likely means very often. You've got to learn to see it's the Lord giving to you, even if it's from the most unlikely sources at times. Well, the Lord provided for him, but after a while, the brook dried up. The brook dried up. The provision was there, but the brook dried up. Why did the Lord do that? Couldn't the Lord have kept the brook going? Do you think he could have kept the brook going? Yes, but he didn't. He lets the brook dry up. Why? Because very often, once we come into the provision of the Lord, after a period of time, if we're not careful, we can end up relying upon the provision of the Lord rather than relying on the Lord of the provision. Do you understand? The Lord has to keep us spiritually on our toes. <laughs> keep us spiritually depending upon him. And so the brook dries up and then something happens. Um, in verse 8 we read, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering sticks. So Elijah has taken his first grade in, after he'd given this particular um, word of prophecy to Ahab. He'd come to the place of separation and he's learning to depend upon the Lord. But then you get to the verse where the scriptures say, where the Lord says to him, go to Zarephath. Zarephath means place of refining. Place of refining. If you're in the school of Christ, the Lord will refine you. I don't mean to depress you by this, but actually the Lord will refine you and he will refine me. He brings impurities to the surface that we never thought were there in order to skim them off. Refining means the turning up of the heat, doesn't it? And uh, the Lord will turn the heat up in your life. He will do it because he loves you, not because he despises you. It's because he's conforming you, according to Romans chapter 8, to the image of his son. That's his intention. He wants to bring you through. 
to that place where you're totally refined. So what happens within this particular passage? Well, we've just mentioned that he meets this widow, this woman of Zarephath, and she's gathering, there she is, gathering sticks. And he says to her, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. Okay? Then we read, And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal or flour in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise, and behold, a, 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 a flask, that is, and behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and, for, and my son, that we may eat and die. Now, we tend to feel that we're in a terrible situation with food shortages today. If you go to the supermarket, you find that shelves are empty, don't you? I think it's one of the most shameful things that has been going on in our society through this whole um, situation where you have this kind of panic buying that has been going on, and people have been clearing the shelves. I mean, Helena went down the road and spoke to somebody in the chemist, and this person in the chemist said, well, then people are not only now um, uh, buying so much food for themselves, they're now buying extra fridge freezers, and now you can't get fridge freezers because they're out of stock. I mean, I, I was listening to this talk, and I was thinking, this is utterly ridiculous. And then I saw this poor lady, this nurse, um, Dawn Bilbra, her name is, and she put something on YouTube after she'd finished work. She'd just done 48 hours, a 48-hour shift as a nurse in a hospital. And she goes from this hospital, to go to get some food after a 48-hour shift of looking after people in the community. And there's nothing. So while she's been slaving away at work, people have been taking what they can for themselves. And there's nothing left for the people who are already serving the community. I wonder how the Lord feels about this. It's wickedness, actually. It's real wickedness. And it shows the kind of self-centered society that we've become, where you can't buy fridge freezers anymore because people have bought extra ones. I mean, it's unbelievable. The situation for this woman in Zarephath was much more real. She's got hardly anything left. And what do we read about this situation? Well, we read in verse 11. And as she was going to fetch it, he called her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, verse 12, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of flour in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not. 
That's the first thing he says unto her. Dear friends, you know, there is this whole fear factor that has come into our society over this whole coronavirus thing. To the point where we are seeing this panic buying, you know, shelves being cleared. It was so awful seeing a photograph in the paper of an elderly man trying to look at a little bit of paper to get something from shelves that were empty. I mean, this is where we've got to, isn't it? Anyway, that's another matter altogether. Not altogether, but it is another matter. Okay, getting back to this. Um, This woman has basically nothing left. And Elijah says to her, fear not. Within the world, you expect this kind of panic to ensue. Unfortunately, it's human nature coming out, isn't it? It's me first, me, me, me. But within the church, there should be a different standard. Now, I'm not saying by that you shouldn't go out and get provisions. Please don't take what I'm saying to extremes. I'm not saying that at all. I'm talking about the panic buying that's going on. You know, when people buy up for themselves four months of loo roll or whatever it is. I mean, ridiculous situations and extra fridge freezers. (laughs) Anyway, so all of that is going on. But notice this woman's in a much more difficult state and Elijah says to her, fear not. I think that's a word for us as a church. The first thing we must make sure is that the spirit that is abroad out there does not affect you or me within the house of God. Fear creates all kinds of wrong decisions. (laughs) We make wrong decisions when we're afraid, don't we? And the word of God says 366 times... Do not fear. That's one for every year, as someone once said, and an extra one for a leap year. So you're okay, you're covered. So there's a do not fear in the Bible for you today. Fear not. If I was in this woman's position, I have to tell you, my heart would be skipping a beat. I'd be thinking, how am I going to cope with this? And the prophet says, fear not. But, you know, in our situations, we need to prove the Lord now, don't we? If we're falling for fear now, when things get really bad, and things will get worse, just read Matthew 24, things get really bad. How are we going to cope in the last days? Only if we've learned not to fear now. We mustn't allow the spirit of fear to... And when you feel tempted to fear, just submit to God and resist the devil. Not the devil himself, but resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. So Elijah says to him, verse 13, Fear not, go and do as you have said, but make me therefore a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of flour shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. 
This woman shows great faith. I think it's a quite an extraordinary thing. Elijah doesn't say to her, well, go and get your cake for yourself, but when you've got a little bit left over, give it to me. Elijah says, give me the cake first. If you do that, the provision of the Lord will be with you basically until this judgment's over. So she had to put the servant of God before herself. She had to put his needs, his priorities, before her priorities. It's exactly what it says in Matthew chapter 12. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Do you remember singing that when you were six or seven? <laughs> I do. That passage is the same passage when the Lord says, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. The Lord says, this is what the Gentiles seek after. But he goes on to say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's almost as though the Lord is saying, seek me first, give unto me first, and I'll deal with the rest. Completely opposite attitude of trying to plunder the shelves of Iceland. <laughs> seek First, my kingdom. Give to me first. I'm not talking about me. I'm, talking, I'm, I'm not saying you give to me first. Elijah means Jehovah is my God. He, Elijah was representing the Lord before this woman. And this woman makes the cake and she gives to Elijah first. Marvelous. What is your priority? Is it your children? Is it your husband? Is it your wife? Is it your best friend? Is it your neighbor? Or is it the Lord? I find this tremendously challenging, I must say. What this woman does, I mean. But she pins everything upon what he said. And then we go on to read this. Verse 16. And the barrel of mill wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. The Lord continually provided two things for this woman. The flour and the oil. The flower speaks to us of the grain of the word. The oil speaks to us of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. In the last days, we are going to need, in a day of famine, in a day where God's judgments are in the earth, we need the flower and we need the oil. They are divinely given, 
And thank God, the oil never runs out. But it appears to me the oil is for those who seek the kingdom of God first. You say, what do you mean? Well, think about Matthew chapter 25. Do you remember the story, the, the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins? How many of them were virgins? How many? Ten. That means they were separated unto one, the bridegroom. Right? How many of them knew the oil? Ten, not five, ten. How many of them had oil with them at the end? Five. Who feels challenged by that? <laughs> what does the word of God say in Ephesians chapter five? Be Filled with the Holy Spirit. So who's the onus on? The believer or the Lord in Ephesians 5? The believer. The believer. In fact, in the Greek, it's present continuous active. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Does that mean... There's times when I can just choose not to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I suggest it does. In Matthew chapter 5, there's a buying that was to go on. But they bought too late, didn't they? Sorry, what did I say? Oh, sorry, that's the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, 25. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom, and five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. When the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept, and at midnight there was a cry, Behold, a bride, the bridegroom cometh, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. For something to go out, it needs to be that something was in there. Am I making sense here? Yeah? Oh, good. You can't have something go out if it was never on. Am I making sense here? I am, aren't I? Yeah. Good. So that means there's a lack of oil. The lamps have gone out. But what is it going to say? But the wise answer saying, not so. There comes a point... When you have to, once you've bought the oil, keep it.
lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went with, in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. This similar type of understanding to what happens in the book of Genesis. The Lord shuts the door on the ark. Time's up. Okay. It's the same kind of picture. We need oil in our lamps. The old Pentecostals, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. The good news is, you don't have to be without the oil. And if you want the oil, I have good news for you. The Lord wants you to have the oil more than you want the oil. So there's no problem. You say, yes, but what if I don't have this? Just receive. Don't question, just receive. You say, but I've, I'm praying about having the oil, and I want the oil, but what if I don't receive the oil? What do we say in France? Impossible. Eh? That was good choice, yeah? If you ask for the oil, the only thing that can stop you receiving the oil is not having faith that the Lord will give it to you. The Lord wants you to have the oil more than you do. Receive by faith. Do we receive anything from the Lord apart from faith? Did you receive your salvation apart from faith? Do you receive provision apart from faith? Do you receive the Holy Spirit apart from faith? Well, the Lord can sovereignly act and overall, I know that, absolutely. But it seems to me this matter of faith, just receive. Say, I believe the Lord wants. As far as I know, I'm right with the Lord. I've laid everything out before the Lord. Just say, now, Lord, fill me with this spirit. And then the Lord will say, well, why don't you start singing then? John, you want to be filled with the Spirit and you're just sitting there like a dummy. John, get up and start praising the Lord. So you sort of think, oh yes, perhaps that's what I should be doing. And you start praising the Lord and then there's something in the line of one of the hymns you're singing. And it blesses your heart and suddenly you're in the heavenlies. That's the oil. There's not a person in this room that can't have the oil. But there will come a time when you won't be able to buy anymore. Thank God, the marketplace, God have mercy on me for saying this like this, but it's the best way I can explain it. The marketplace of heaven is still open. Don't be bombing it down to Sainsbury's for 30 packets of this, that and the other. This is the time to get to the market of heaven and buy the oil. This is the time to buy the oil. The oil speaks of the Holy Spirit and the flower speaks of the grain of his word were not to fear. So we end this story. Okay? And it's always like, it's like if we ended here, it'd be like one of those old black and white films, you know, where Everything was troublesome, and then this couple, they get together, they're married, everybody's happy, new home, and a lovely ending with a nice Cascadian string orchestra playing you out. But this story doesn't end here. Something happens in the story that is completely what you wouldn't expect. They've got the oil, they've got the bread, everything's happy in the home. And then the boy 
dies. Extraordinary. I'm going to quickly go through this, very quickly. Read with me so that we can just finish off. Verse 17, put your seatbelts on, please. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sins to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me your son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. Now, I want you to think of this boy as a type of the church in the West in the last days. Got that? We have been given the bread in this nation. We have been given the oil. We have had centuries of wonderful Bible teachers and missionaries and evangelists and pastors and prophets that God has sown into this nation. He's raised up churches where the power of the Spirit came upon that church and it just exploded all up and down the country. We've been preserved in this nation from Roman Catholicism by those who were given the grace to lay down their lives to preserve us from the teaching of transubstantiation. We have been saved through two world wars. We have been given the best. The Lord has given us his word. We have been given so much oil and so much flour, and yet it's as though the body in our day has no life in it. And so many churches stand, buildings up and down this country, as monuments to what used to be. Places where God was once honored and his word upheld, where people were being saved in the meetings. They're now just empty shells where compromisers come in and the life of the Spirit of God that once flooded the meetings has gone out of the place. And how many, I don't know, have Ichabod written over the front door? We're like this boy. Divine provision has been given. And yet the boy goes sick. The word sick here means to be diseased, to be worn down in strength, to become wearied, to be made weak, speaks of infirmity. That's where we've become as a church. And it says within this particular passage that the sickness of the boy was so sore. That means, in a bad sense, hardened. Some uh, contexts of Scripture say hardened, i.e. obstinate. Well, if we put that into the context of where we are as a church today, isn't that significant? But there's a sickness within the church, isn't there? And we find that we become those that no longer have the life within the church that we once had, the voice that we once had. We're dead to the oil and the bread just as this boy was dead to the oil and the bread, even though the provision was going on while he was dead. Then we find these words. Elijah says, it says of Elijah, when he took the boy up in verse 20, and he cried unto 
the Lord. And he cried unto the Lord. This brings me back to my point initially. Wouldn't it be wonderful, instead of us looking at the lifelessness within the body and pointing the finger at one another, that we got before God and cried out to the Lord. Lord, the body is dead. In so many areas, it seems like it, doesn't it? You go to some places and it's terribly dead in some services, isn't it? And other places masquerade for life when really it's froth and bubble. And it's all kind of just um, razzmatazz, you know. And it's an artificial form of life. It's not the genuine life. It's not genuine breath. And so we read in this particular passage that Elijah cried unto the Lord. Oh, would to God that we wouldn't just point the finger at one another and say it's his fault, it's her fault. It's, if only we would begin to lose our disdain for one another and our aggression within the house of God to blame each other and start crying out to the Lord to do something about it. What a difference there'd be within the house of God if we became what the Lord wanted us to be. What does the Lord want us to be? We're called to be a house of prayer. Okay, let's bring this to a close. What happens? He cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, has thou also brought evil upon the widow which, whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came into him again and he revived what does the body of the what does the body of the lord need what does the church of the lord need in this country it needs to be revived revival isn't a special evangelistic effort to get unbelievers saved that's not revival revival means re Revived, brought back to life. If somebody is going to be revived, they would have had to have been alive previously. Well, that's where we are in the church. We were once alive, weren't we? But there's a lifelessness in the church, isn't there? And we need those who will stretch over the house of God and plead with God on behalf of the church to once again revive the church. Not for our sake, but for the sake of the Lord's name. Look what this woman goes on to say to Elijah. Verse 23. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. Oh, would to God that we had a testimony within the house of God like this. That it might be that people would come up to us from outside and say, Now I know that the word of the Lord you speak is truth. That's what they need to hear. That's what people need to know that the God that we worship is the living God. And you can have all the skillful arguments in the world. And apologetics and I I'm happy with apologetics, but believe me, dear friends, what we need is experience with God. This is what's so vital in these days. 
if, we're to, if people outside are to know that the God that we know is the living God, they need to see that our God is able to raise the dead. Would to God that we have a reviving in our church, not simply for our sakes, but for the sake of the Lord's name that is being blasphemed amongst the Gentiles, amongst the unbelievers. May the Lord grant, brothers and sisters, we know this reviving. I want to declare something again today. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can know the power of the Spirit. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit now whilst we live in the day of grace. Amen? I can be filled. There's no first and second class citizens in the house of God. Let me end with this thought. Sometimes we think, well, the power of knowing the fullness of the Spirit is for the high flyers. True preaching is for the intellectuals. Do you understand what I'm saying? That the, the higher echelons of our society. Let me share something you, with you. There was a famous Puritan by the name of John Owen. Ever heard of him? He wrote the book that I've borrowed from Gerard and haven't given back to him. What is it called again? It's obviously had a big impact on our brother. And um, it's <laughs> the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ. He wrote famous books. Um, and he was a top Cambridge theologian character. His intellect was brilliant. And he said... I would rather I would give up all my intellectual qualifications and excellences just to be able to speak like the tinker. He was talking about John Bunyan. You see, John Bunyan could get people out at six in the morning. I'm talking about numbers up to three thousand to hear him preach at six in the morning. He wasn't an intellectual brilliant. You see, what we need is the Spirit of God. Spirit of God doesn't come upon people because they're intellectually brilliant or smart or bright or they've got this qualification or that qualification. The Spirit comes upon the desperate. Haven't you noticed? What stops you receiving? The Holy Spirit, the oil is given. We receive by feelings or by faith? Faith. Brothers and sisters, you receive by faith. The feelings may come next week. But you stand on the word of God. And you say, I believe I've received. Because the Lord promises to give to them that ask. Amen. And what's so difficult about your situation? Are you a nobody before God? Of course you're not. The Lord loves you. The oil is for you. He died for you personally. He loves you personally. He's provided the oil for you 
personally. He's provided the grain for you personally. He's able to sustain you personally. He's able to give you an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying personally. Buy. Without money, without price. Isaiah chapter 55. And prove what I'm saying. For the Lord loves you. May the Lord grant each one of us in this house, oh would to God, please, there'd be none of us go out of this house and never buy the oil. I think that would be a sadness. Buy the bread. You can get things from the word of God that I haven't received. Why not? You have the same spirit that I have. I can receive things from the word of God that C.H. Spurgeon didn't receive. Why? Because we have the same spirit, same teacher. Let's learn to go to the right marketplace. Feed on the Lord and be blessed. Let's end with a word of prayer, shall we? Lord, want to thank you that there's not a person in this congregation that your son didn't die for. We want to thank you that you go to a woman in Zarephath, through your servant Elijah, a nobody, and you provide oil and you provide bread for this woman. Lord, we don't even know what her name was. She was a nobody, Lord. She was a nobody. And you went to her house and you caused the flour to not run out. And you cause the oil to not run out. Oh, dear Lord. We reckon so much upon our nothingness, but not upon your generosity. Please help us to remember, Lord, that you want to give to everyone who will ask of you. 